0: You're listening to The Maniverse Podcast with your host, Tom Traplin, and this is session number 54.
1: I think that's really, really important to make sure your reputation uh, is a positive one for as many people as possible. I don't
2: have a bad kidney, but I have a New York attitude, so I understand. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Today's episode of The Maniverse Podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download, 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash MVP book. You've got over 180,000 titles to choose from on Audible for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Okay guys, welcome to the 54th episode of the Manaverse Podcast. I am your host, Tom Traplin, and this is the show where we talk about the business side of gaming and how to take your local game store to the next level of success. Well, It's a little bit different today. We're not talking about the next level of success. We're actually talking about how to avoid... The next level of failure. Today's episode, we discuss the various reasons why a game store will fail. And as some of you may know, the statistics on the number of game stores that will open and close within a year or two or three is uh, depressingly high. It's somewhere around 70%. So 7 out of 10 game stores will come and go like the wind. They will just oh and then something will happen, and chances are it's one of the reasons that we discuss over the course of this show. So uh Today I, along with my three hook, three co-hosts, John Coviello, Wayne Middlestead, and Gary Sproul, the uh fantastic co-hosts of the round table, we discuss the different reasons why your game store might fail. So if you're in the uh in the weeds right now, and this is something that uh I wanted to mention before we got started, don't be afraid to reach out to somebody. That's very important. If you are in the danger zone, if you know you're like, oh man, this is just not going the way I wanted it to. I'm not feeling too great about this. If you're in that that downward slide, you know it's not impossible to pull out and it's you can turn it around but if you are uh, if you're in that danger zone i want you to reach out to us like give give us a call give us a an email and we will be happy to help you out and it's an offer we make at the end of the show as well but it's a it's not a nice place to be nobody wants their their uh, their baby right like they, you invest so much love and passion and energy and money not to mention money money into your business so the last thing you guys want is for it to crumble and fall through your fingers like sand you want it to succeed and part of that is to avoid the pitfalls as well as take advantage of the opportunities so this is an opportunity for you if you're having trouble reach out to us and if not us reach out to somebody just go to someone because you find another business owner that you admire that you you know you know that you've uh you've maybe worked with at some point and and reach out to them and ask them you know for advice get an outside perspective don't don't hide it don't hide your troubles because then you're just going to take them to you know the grave of your business don't do that i want to see you succeed so that part of that is you know if you need help we're here to to offer some of that assistance so with that said i think uh, we'll just get right into the episode And, uh, yeah, I hope you guys enjoy this one. I had a lot of fun with it. It's it's great having all of us together again. And I will see you on the other side. Okay, guys. Welcome to another episode of the Maniverse Podcast. I am your host, Tom Traplin. And I have with me all my co-hosts this time. We have in the top right corner, top left corner. I'm in the top right corner. For me, we have John
2: Uh, Coviello. John Coviello here from the little Little Shop of Magic in Las Vegas. Fantastic.
0: And in the bottom left corner, we have Gary. Just Gary. Hello, everyone. No last name there.
3: I guess I didn't fill out the form properly. Uh, Gary Sproul from uh, the Haunted Game Cafe in Fort Collins, Colorado. Sweet. And below me, we have Wayne. Wayne
0: Middlestead.
1: Hey, I'm Wayne Middlestead, the owner of Dueling Grounds in Toronto, Canada.
0: Today, we wanted to talk about something that's uh, I think it's on everyone's mind the first time they decide to roll the dice on a game store and it's it's failure. It's it's kind of a stinky topic but it's something that you have to keep in mind when you're going to start any business. So what we wanted to do today was just explore some of the the main reasons why game stores fail. To start the ball start the ball rolling. The th- the thing I want to talk about first is who should be in the business of running a business anyways. So I think the one of the one of the major problems and one of the major factors for people, you know, running themselves into the ground and causing themselves all sorts of trouble is that uh, there's just a certain number of people who should never actually own a business themselves. I think certain people are just built to be employees. It's kind of
2: funny. I was, I was doing a little bit of research cause you know, there's my ideas and then I'm like, okay, so what, what else is out there? Why people think, uh, one of the things I ran across was uh, it was, Talk about why people fail at this is because they fall into one or two types. They're either the uh, not-so-nice guy or the too-nice guy. Uh, and, and That's an example of who shouldn't go into business. If you are – yes, you should be a nice person uh, in your business, but you have to understand you've got to be nice to the point of being able to still stay in business and be nice to the people that are walking in their door because if you're giving away the kitchen sink um, and just being that super nice – People will love you, like uh, you won't keep those doors open for very much longer.
0: Yeah, you give everything away for free. Everyone's going to be your best friend, but you're going to close your doors pretty quickly, right? And like running a business, is, it's complex. It's hard. It's a lot of work. It's a well, it's not just a lot of work. It's a ridiculous amount of work, especially at the beginning. Like If you're on your own, if you think of the average game store that's going to open up, it's gonna be just you, you're not gonna have, you're not likely to have any employees right off the bat and you're gonna be working somewhere between like 60 to 80 hours a week to make it work. If you're not ready for that, you're not ready to, to run the business in the first place.
2: Well, if it isn't just you and you have business partners, that might be another reason why you go on a business too eventually. Yeah. Uh, it could not be, but it can be also.
0: Partners, that's, that's one of the recurring themes that uh, I've, I've noticed when I've been doing my interviews is that a lot of people have had partners and that just complicates everything. Because a lot of times people are like, oh, they start off with you know people who are uh, like-minded. They you know they're on the same page. Everyone's like, yeah, let's let's do the game store, let's have fun. And then you know a couple months in, they're like, man, I had no idea this would be so much work. Or you know maybe I'm just not cut out for retail, and I hate it because they've never done it before and they just wanted to jump on jump on the bandwagon and then you've got the partners who want it like some partners want to go their own way then you have to figure out what you're going to do like how you're going to separate things and like without destroying the business and yeah, it's it's a very common obstacle for a lot of people who have uh, started their own game store i think it's not just game stores but like that's going to apply to virtually any business you start if you don't find the right partners how do you know until you really get started
1: if i may interject it's not just who you partner with, it's the contract you draw off. I believe the contract is way more important because you need an out if somebody decides, I can't do this, I don't wanna do this, or you have irreconcilable differences. You need an exit plan to continue with the business or exit the whole business completely and maybe start over sometime. Uh, otherwise, you get yourself in a really tangled mess, and nobody wins. And uh, you might even damage yourself so much financially that you won't be able to restart the business. So, you basically, I think, you really have one shot at this, and uh, make sure you, if, you, if you have partners, you have a, a damn clean, clear contract that you both agree on.
2: Just this past week, we had um, the, uh, the industry chains. I'm not going to name just specific names, but there's a, a lawsuit that has started uh, between. Um, a game publisher and a store owner and both established uh, businesses, but they opened up a business to get a, a, a retail store together and things did not go well. I, um, I don't remember. I want to say it was open less than a year before it shut down. And now during um, court figuring out who done what and then, you know, pointing the fingers at each other. So uh, no matter how good you are with somebody, um, Wayne is 100% right. <laughs> Put it in paper. Um, and even then get, a good person to put it in paper for you you're not lawyers yeah Um, yeah you're you're running businesses you're not unless you have a degree in law and even then get somebody else's opinion have somebody look at it uh gary went over my kitchen plants you know the more eyes i can get on things the happier i'll be um but uh but yeah so partners can be a boon uh, but they could be one of the reasons why your business fails too
3: but on the other hand, I mean, I, I don't disagree with everything you've said, uh, especially get a lawyer because he'll ask you questions that the two of you may not even have considered. But on the other hand, having a partner can be um, more money into the startup and undercapitalization is a huge problem. So if you can get two people together and pool their money, that could be a big difference.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, for sure. That's actually the, the second point that I wrote down is just undercapitalization. That is a... Major downfall. And it's just that, that's again, it applies to not just game stores, but like virtually any small business that you start. You start off with not enough money in the bank to make it to the break even point and like start being profitable, you're just going to run at a runway and crash, right? And like, I think. I think the whole uh, the game store industry is interesting in that way because there's not a lot of people who are super pumped about like opening a clothing store, like another clothing store. Woo! You know, like, there's not like a huge group of hobbyists who are like, yeah, man, this is what I really want to do when I you know, become an adult or whatever. So there's a lot of people who are very enthusiastic about game store ownership or a business or some sort of thing like that because it's their hobby, right? It's their passion. And they end up jumping in without realizing exactly how much money they should have in the bank to make it work. They don't do that. The analysis, and that's what we talked about during the uh, the business plan episode too, is that uh, you need to crunch the numbers and figure out the math to to know what you need to make it to month twelve or whatever it is. Like, how many months can you lose, you know, four to five thousand dollars consistently until you can be like, okay, now we're only losing two or three thousand dollars, and like, oh, now we're breaking even, and okay, now we're actually making a profit. If it takes like eighteen months for that to happen, are you going to make it?
2: Yeah, I've, uh, I've talked to a couple of people They were, um, you know, with the recession and everything a few years back, it was like, well, I'm out of a job. I'm thinking about doing this. And it's probably the worst possible thing you can think of doing. Um, find a job, then maybe consider over being your own business because, I mean, realistically speaking, you don't want the other pressure of the business on top of any financial goals you, you have from losing your job. Um, and in, on this subject, I can sound a bit hypocritical because I literally started with just my extra magic singles I want to interject though that that was 22 years ago the climate is very different um the era of the like you know open up on a shoestring budget and 300 square feet this is literally my store we had no capital other than our magic singles but again 22 years ago you didn't have internet you didn't have these mega stores these uh you didn't have barnes and noble going hey these games look kind of cool we can make money at this you know so you're competing with some big guns these days um one of the reasons why people go out of business too is, is something I'm going to check later is no competitive edge. So uh, when you look at it, you start off with a huge, um, you start off way behind um, if you're just going to start with magic singles and that's all you have, you know, two tables and, and I'm open. Uh,
0: times have changed. Mm-hmm. It's, that's just the way things are now. And yeah, back in the day, you might be able to have pulled that off, made it actually work. And in your case, you know, it, it worked out fine. But I'm sure it was still a struggle, it sure was still like a, a grind, to before it really became uh, profitable and worthwhile.
2: Yeah. At the time, talking about so so right, I had business partners. Um, I had no capital. Um, I for three years, I worked a full time job, went to school full time, and also on my days off, manned the store. So uh, it can be done. I don't know if it can be done now. It was done then. Um, you know, hard to say nowadays. Uh, And and usually the question that I usually get too is like, how much? And there's so many variables with that. You know, I mean, if you live in San Francisco, your number is going to be way different than my number or somebody that's living in Madison, Wisconsin, for example. Right? I mean, those are, I don't know. I I look at it or you're trying to set up something like me uh, or like Gary does. Right. Um, The numbers jump around a lot, depending on what you're trying to do.
3: We should also maybe preface this kind of whole conversation by saying, We can't define success for you. Um, If getting cheap games and eating macaroni and cheese all week is great for you, then it's great for you. Who am I to say you're not a success? Um, Generally, I think right now we're talking about um, a a fairly successful retail store that can pay a salary to yourself and several employees um, and is able to carry at least several different product lines. Sure.
2: And, and I think the topic, realistically speaking, success is one thing, but why do stores fail? In other words, when you get to the point where your landlord locks you out and yeah. uh, it doesn't matter what you want, if you just want to get games cheap and you want to have a clubhouse, whatever it is, again, like Eric was saying, that's success to you. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But once that landlord has put a padded padlock on your door and he's taken everything you own in there, um, I would say that's kind of what we're getting at. And you can get to that point no matter how much... You're like, well, I don't need much. I Have a full time job, you know. Uh, my rent is minimal. But you can get to a point where you're just not making enough to keep those doors open. And these are the kind of things that'll take you there, I think. Uh,
0: and, and yeah, uh, that's that's a that's a difficult thing to uh, to analyze. It's kind of frustrating when you think about it that uh, failure has a there's a definite spot where like you're done. Whereas success is like infinite. It could be anything. It's you know you'll you could chase it forever and you could never really feel like you ever got it. Whereas once those doors are locked and you know, they take keys away probably it's, it's <laughs> the end of the road for you. So it's kind of one sided. There's a zero on one side and an infinity
3: on the other. So. Is that what we should transition to is uh, not being able to make your fixed costs will definitely shut you down.
2: Yeah. And, what, and I would say that goes under the undercapitalization, right? I mean, you need to have enough of a buffer there to account for stuff will happen. Um, and you know, ideally, um, you have enough of a buffer to deal with those kind of unexpected.
3: Well, what, what I was thinking of, John, was the, uh, the death spiral of, of st- when you start stealing money from the money you have to buy inventory and start putting it in other things, no matter what those other things are, when you have less and less stuff on your shelves, you'll get less and less sales, which means you have less money to buy more stuff, and it's a death spiral all the way down. Yep,
0: you're eating your seed crop to start chewing it up. Oh man, I'm really hungry this winter. I'm going to have to eat some of this seed crop. Oh, I got a little bit less to plant next year. well, whatever. I'll do it. Whatever. We'll deal with it. And then next year, you're a little bit less, a little bit less. And then everyone starts to death. So yeah, the death spryl is not, not great. And like that's, it's also kind of a tragic thing because when it gets to that point, if you're in trouble, you know, if you're like things are rocky, things aren't going great, your sales are starting to plummet. What tends to happen is people start to, to squeeze the people who are running the business, you're like, I, want sales. I need people to buy my stuff. You start to get a little bit more, uh, a little bit more desperate for people to buy your things, which actually will push them away. Yeah. You'll, you'll, you know, you'll either become angry, you know, like the emotional stress will make you a, a terrible person and nobody will want to deal with you and you'll drive your customers away or you'll start trying to like get them to buy stuff and then drive them away or you'll, you know, you'll have to figure out like, Oh, I need to raise my prices or I need to, you know, Are you you need to spread it a little bit to try and make more profit off a smaller number of customers, which then drives them away faster. And yeah. really the reverse is what you should be trying to do at that point. Those few uh, customers that you still have, you should be trying to uh, hang on to and, you know, make them, service them as best you can and try and uh, turn the wheel around, turn the wheel around.
1: Yeah, but that's a good point about, uh, as Gary was uh, mentioning in the death spiral, is not having, having less and less product. Um, and you don't even have to be in a death spiral. I mean, you could just uh, not have ordered enough product that week or whatever. And if you don't have that extra box of magic to sell or whatever someone's come in for, you may just you know, lose that customer. They're like, oh, okay, and then they go to another store and then they don't come back to your store. Um, little simple things like that. So it's, it's very, very important to have, you know, the, the stuff you know that people are going to want to walk in and buy, you have to have that in stock. You know, you have to have like Settlers' Catan. It's it's such a popular board game. You know, I always make sure I have multiple copies all the time uh, because there's so many people that walk in, you know, or call, hey, do you have Settlers? And yes, I do. And I don't want to ever say no, I don't, um, because yeah. they will uh, move on to somewhere else. So, yeah, having... The, the, your, your store is stocked well. Uh, super, super important to uh, staying in business.
2: Yeah, and there's definitely a daisy chain of events that happens. Um, uh, inventory management was one of the reasons I put down for um, mm. some businesses going out of business. And it's not just having enough product. It's having the right right because you're not made of infinite money no matter how much you're doing well on sales i can guarantee you you can spend more money than you make i mean that's that's a common trait to just about anybody right it's very easy to do um so you have to be careful and look at turn rates because again Wayne, gary 100 percent correct when you have the wrong product mates or you don't have product there is no way your sales are coming from product now in gary's case you know product is also his coffee beans and it's milk and all that good stuff and that will be the case for me later but it's still product if if I overorder milk and it goes rancid uh, I mean I lost money there's no way to get around it and I have to recoup that money somehow some way somewhere else um, and and it triggers a series of events you're right because then you start seeing less sales and then you get upset and you come kind of like a not-so-nice person and all of a sudden people don't like you they don't come to your store yeah it's, it's incredible how much the stuff cascades
0: for sure and I think that kind of rolls into another another note that I uh, I put down for possible failure problems is just bad fundamentals. It's just you don't you need to understand cash flow and finances and like inventory management is one of those things that if you never do those you know analyses, you don't look at the numbers or you just don't know how to do a uh, accounting or if you don't know how to do outsource accounting, even then uh, you're just going to run yourself into the ground accidentally. You know, you're not even going to realize how much money you're spending and you're going to end up, you know, spending your inventory money on something that you shouldn't have on your fixed costs or whatever. But if, yeah, if you just don't understand the math of how to do it, or if you've never looked at it, that's eventually going to come back to bite you in the butt.
1: Yeah. Just to add to what John was saying. Yeah. It's you, you, you really need to understand what's making you money and prioritize that and make sure you're ordering that and ordering enough of it. Like for myself personally, it's uh Kame's workshop. has just exploded at my store and I got to be on top and make sure I get those new releases every week. There's, there was a point when that was not a big thing for my store and I'd order maybe once a month. Um, but now it's, it's, it's uh, you know, it's become like a weekly, I need to order this because I have a huge customer base for this and uh, I have to provide that for them. So it's, it's extremely important that knowledge. Absolutely. For sure. Mm-hmm.
2: And, uh, it, and for those of you considering doing this, there's a wealth of information out there. There's of course the internet, which, you know, you gotta be careful where you're getting your sources from with the internet as far as how valid something may be when they're telling you something, including us, I guess. But, um, you know, uh, the gamma trade show, um, has some very fundamental classes that apply to, any business but the nice thing is it's sort of put in terms specific to ours so um gary help me out here who is it um it does the there's two blocks that are very sort of fundamental like um you know basic accounting and, things, and i can't remember
3: i am sorry i don't remember the names but they do have a new store owner track um right. that that covers a lot of basic stuff and and i'll echo that uh if it were not for gamma and uh the retail section of gamma I would definitely not have been successful in starting my store. They were a huge, huge part of me being successful when I started up.
2: And, and you will probably hear some things you
3: don't want to hear because you
2: have it in your mind how you're going to do things. And when they contradict you, um, you're going to go, oh, these people don't know what they're talking about. And I'm, I, I, I can do it. That's just fine. That's another reason why some stores fail. They just fail to um, network. They fail to learn. I mean, fundamentally, these people are not telling you don't do this because they don't want to see you open up a store. Um, the reality is they're telling you don't do this because they're trying to get you to avoid a very costly mistake and then do something that, you know, pollutes the pool or whatever or not. Um, so sometimes things are going to contradict what you believe. Um, look at it. Have a logical and rational look at it. Don't let emotions take over because that's, that's another pitfall for taking your business and running it out of business.
3: Uh, let me ask you guys a, a question that's been bothering me for a while now. Uh, when I started up, it got hammered into me at um, that dead inventory would kill you, right? If you buy things, put them on the shelf and they don't sell, uh, that is a suck on your, on your cash. And it's a game that you could have you spent that money on something else that was going to sell and made you money. Um, so I've been super, super paranoid about that stuff. But I, I, I'm, over the years, I'm starting to believe that I'm actually hurting myself by trimming down so much to the point that I'm only carrying the, the, the most popular stuff and there's no, there's no um, depth, there's no oh, oh wow factor to my store. What do you guys think about that?
1: Wayne, you want to go first? Sure, yeah. I, I think that's a pretty interesting comment. Um, yeah, I think it's super, super important to, uh, to trim the, the dead branches off your tree Uh, uh, that that your store is. That's my analogy. Um, Because, you know, every square foot, every square inch of your store that you're paying for uh, needs to create some sort of revenue um, or give something to the customer that makes them want to spend money like a game area. Um, But yeah, you, you need to recognize when, okay, this wall of stuff is dying. It needs to go. I need to box it up. Put it away and get rid of it later. Clear it off on eBay or whatever, and just get something else on that space. Um, that, and that's that's a tough lesson to learn. Um, I know I was really stubborn over the years, and uh, I just I would just want to squeeze the money out of it. I wanted to keep it in my store until I sold it. And I have had things in my store sit for years, and then it finally sells, and I'm like, yes, I got that money.
2: We, we all had that one item. They were like, when this sells, I'm just closing up the shop because it's like you know the mascot. But right,
1: yeah. yeah but I, I, um, as far as is uh, Gary, what you were saying about concerned about concentrating just on the the proven sellers and the popular stuff. I mean, I, I found myself doing that as well. Part of the reason is, you know, I got just over 900 square feet. I have a very small shop. I need to fill it with stuff that sells. Um, I'm slowly, you know, I I branch out where I can uh, and where I have space, but um, I don't think there's anything too wrong with that. It really depends on your business and um your customer base and i mean like for me uh, i'm becoming like a role play game destination um, that started with my huge huge collection of dungeons and dragons from like first edition to fifth edition and my huge inventory of miniatures um so it really established me as that kind of a store for a lot of customers and so i've started branching out my role playing section Now i've got you know call of cthulhu and uh run and And Numenera, which is a really hot new RPG uh, that you guys should all consider. It's very, very, very good. Like, even the RPG snob customers are like, this is really good, Uh, although it's hard to get. Um, So, yeah, I I totally get that concern, Gary, and um, I think you just need to, uh, you know, approach it in a way. Like, collectible card games, oh my gosh, like, I gave up. I gave up after years and years of trying the new card game, trying the new popular card game, and every time it would it would go for a little while and then it would die. Right now, force of will is huge, and people are like coming to my store, do you have force of will? Do you have force of will? I'm like, no, and I feel confident saying no, and that's okay because I'm not going to invest a bunch of money into it, and, and there's, everybody's doing it, so you know why should I jump in a market that's already got a lot of people jumping on it? when um, it's just gonna die out in a, in a year or two or whatever. Like, you know, I've, I've got Magic, I've got Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! And those are three card games that will continue to have their ups and downs, but they will continue going strong, at least as far as I can see. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not interested. Uh, and again, that has to do with the size of my store too. So everybody's, you know, it's, 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 it's different for everybody. But yeah, I, I, uh, I understand those concerns, Gary.
2: Yeah, I I don't do Force of Will either or Cardfight Vanguard because I don't understand them. I mean, they are games that I don't have the time to investigate. And so, yeah, you're right. I don't carry everything. But to address your question, Gary, I'm not so keen on... So in the industry, we have this thing that we call a museum store, right? Which is a store that basically has everything since the dawn of time. Uh, There is some appeal to that. And I think it's got to be with your comfort level, Gary, because we're at the point now where... We have a sizable store coming up, right? 7,000 pounds square feet. And we need to populate it with something. If we just put the, the popular stuff and all the popular stuff, there's a problem there because I'm no different than my competitor. When it came to your store, Wayne, you had some cool stuff that I didn't see anywhere else, right? So I picked up this little – he's got a guy that makes these really cool custom um, d and dungeon pieces. And he had like an idol – uh, they look like the idol from the first edition cover of D&D, right? I mean, it's unique. It's something that gets people to come there. You also did D&D miniature singles. You do um, secondhand GW products. So there is a lot to be said about having some inventory that maybe is not exactly the, oh, look, it's turning six times a year. It's awesome, right? I mean, but for that same reason, that's the reason why that customer comes in there and then sees Catan on your shelf and picks it up. I think the answer to that is yes, Gary. I think there is a problem with people that just look at min-maxing everything. And you shoot yourself in the foot, in my opinion, because you have no competitive edge. You're no different than the guy next door to you or Barnes & Noble, right? You're just looking at turn rates, and that's fine. It's got to be your comfort level. How much money do you have to throw on Black 21 and just go, you know what? If it never comes up, I don't care. I was entertained for two hours, right? It's it's difficult, and it's it's size of store, like Wayne was saying. It's budget. It's what can you afford to have dead weight on the shelf? Um, I felt that way about RPGs for the longest time. For us, RPGs were four to six percent of our sales. They're booming right? ever since the ND five right? Um, uh, well, and Star Wars is a good title, and Pathfinder now is suffering a little bit of market glut. They have a lot of titles, but you get what I'm getting at, right? I mean, and there's there's another thing is is uh, kind of critical mass at what point in time are you an rpg store is it because right. you have two titles on the shelf because that's what sells or is it because you have numenera which not a lot of people know about and they come to your store because this guy has numenera right um, so i would say it's a balance of what you're comfortable with gary don't listen to people that just go no it's always this way you know?
0: and i think it's a it's a mix sorry to, to interject a bit i think it's a it's a balance Right. You, there's a certain percentage that you have to dedicate. Okay. These are the money items. You have to have these. And then there's a certain percentage that I think it's kind of like gambling, you know, whatever you're or kind of like investing, not gambling, uh, whatever risk level you're comfortable with. You know, if it's 10% of your budget, whatever your, you know, your uh, inventory budget is, that's your experimental items. That's where you of like reach out on new things and see what happens. Cause if you only go with Catan and magic and the the big, players in the market and that's all you sell. You will never know what other items what, that your customers might want. You might never, you'll, I think you'll have a very steady cash flow in that sense, but you might never actually find the really major successful item that, you know, you might've found otherwise if you had actually tried out force of will, like maybe force of will is going to just disappear in a couple of years. It's very possible. So many games have followed that same path where it exploded and then vanished. But it's also possible that, you know, maybe Forcible is going to be super popular in your store, Wayne or John or anyone, you know, anyone. If you've never given a shot and like your customers are asking for it, it's possible that, that maybe you should uh, just give it, you know, dabble a little bit and like see what happens. But uh, yeah, it's, I think it's, it's a personal, personal choice on how much you want to lose. Cause that's really what you're going to look at is like, how much money can I lose if this is one of those items that sits on the shelf for a couple of years?
1: So yeah, okay. So John said when he came to my store, he saw things that, you know, he didn't, hadn't seen anywhere else. And that's because we do a lot of secondhand stuff. We have trade stuff in. So you literally cannot find it uh, in other stores because it's all out of print. And we're focusing more and more on out-of-print items for RPGs, for Warhammer, um, beyond, you know, the standard collecting, collectible card games, which, you know, Name me one collectible card game other than Magic, Yu-Gi-Oh, or Pokemon that's lasted more than three years. By the way, <laughs> yeah, right. if you want
2: to consider the last one, I could think of was Legend of Five Rings, but it's no longer a CCG. Oh, that's, yeah, that one went for a while. Yeah, it, but but it, you know, it's, but you're right. From that first year when Magic came out, I believe there was eighty card games on the market. I mean, one survived Magic from
1: that first year, and Legend of Five Rings. So that's it. Yeah, exactly. So. You know because because we have this out of print um focus uh that is one of our unique selling points and uh you know you can we've actually been nicknamed now uh i don't i don't know if you guys have winners in the states but winners is a retail shop that it's it's sort of um they get in brands from all over the place and they sell it like overstock of brands and stuff and so they have a variety of items from all these companies and they sell them cheaper uh, and you never know what's in there from, from week to week every time you shop. So, uh, yeah, a guy, a customer came in, saw what we were doing, and like, wow, you guys are the winners of Warhammer. <laughs> and I kind of like that, and it's just sort of stuck. And, uh, you know, that's it gives people a reason to keep coming back as well. Because, you know, we get collections in weekly, and, uh, you know, there's new stuff every week. So, um that's definitely a usp for me um another unique selling point um it could be how deep you go into a product too you know like for example my miniatures like the dungeons and dragons miniatures um you know i've i've uh, i've got the largest singles collection of those in anywhere in the gta maybe even ontario i don't know um it'd be interesting to 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 see to compare my collection with other shops but um you know, that's, you, you, when you have these obvious, unique things to your store, you get a reputation for that. And um, if you don't have something special about your store that's different from anybody else, um, why why go to your store? Because there's, I guess it depends where you are too. Um, you know, Toronto is a very competitive market. There's lots and lots of game stores. Uh, so... You know, people will just go somewhere else if there's nothing special about your store. Uh, so you really need to develop that uh, that special thing to draw people in. If
2: I can chime in with one thing, mm-hmm. selling cheaper is not a competitive edge. Nope. Anybody can do it. Anybody can run themselves out of business by lowering the price. I know you think you're being clever by going, ha, oh, oh, it's 5% less than at that store. But it, it, no. I, anybody can do that. The competitive edge is something different. Like Wayne said, it's something that is, is rather unique to your store. And if you look around your market uh, and you find things that are, there's a crowd for it and it's not being served. And like I said, yes, I know I'm leaving money on the table with uh, Card Fight, Vanguard, and. Um, of course, uh, the, world, the world. Right? will. Mm-hmm. But. I don't have a force of will expert. I don't have the time to invest into that. So what ends up happening is realistically speaking, I will carry that line poorly. I will put it on my shelf and hope that it sells. And it's not gonna work that way. So you gotta look at what do you have champions for in your store, either on staff, ideally for yourself or potentially a volunteer in your store. Um, given the, the caveat that if that volunteer leaves for whatever reason, you lose you're expert in that market, right? Uh, this stuff doesn't sell itself for the most part, with few exceptions. Settlers of Catan, Magic, right? You're right. You can throw that stuff on a shelf and it sells. But everybody else is doing that. The comic book store is doing that. Barnes and Noble is doing that. Um, what's the video game chain? Um, game Crazy, Game Days. You know. So, what makes you different is is your expertise and how you carry a line. And again, one more time, discounting doesn't make you different at all.
0: Yeah. That is not a unique selling proposition. That's actually a very good way to close up your shop, which is very apropos to the uh, topic at hand. That's uh, yeah. Don't discount yourself to the point where you're, you know, in that desperation. You're in the race to the bottom. That's just what's the point.
1: Well, I mean, but, he, I, there are some stores that are successful at it uh, here in Toronto, uh, but you have to recognize that your investment in and ca- the cash flow you have to invest in that idea in that way of doing business is huge. Your return on that investment is a lot lower, so you have to do way more volume. Um, so it's a lot more work, a lot more money, and there are some stores set up to, to do that. I certainly don't have the funds to be able to do that and, and compete, and it, it's it's not a unique thing, but uh, it won't make you stand out so much, but it's, I think it is a, a competitive edge though. I know there's people that will go to those stores because the prices are cheaper. Um, so, you know, there's something to be said for that. But uh and he, but the, the my point is you're not gonna put yourself out of business if you're willing to dedicate, you know, a hundred thousand to magic and sell boxes at like a hundred or hundred and ten or something where you're barely making anything for per box. So if you're willing to inject that much capital into a product just so you can discount it, mm-hmm. it can work. <laughs> it's just, you know, it ties up a lot of your cash flow. That's all.
0: Yeah, it's kind of hard to be the Amazon of game stores, Amazon, you know, if you put a
1: billion dollars into your business
0: to be able to, you know, buy out buy so much bulk and to be able to cut those, to take those really deep discounts then yeah, you can, you might be able to make that model work. But mm-hmm. if you're like the average game store, you don't have that kind of money. You can't yeah. just drop, you know, 50 to $100,000 into a single product line.
1: Yeah, I think you have to already be really successful, and at that point, you're not worried about. You
0: could have another unique selling point if you're already successful, usually. Yeah. And like, and that's yeah. uh, and one thing I wanted to add to the whole unique selling proposition is that uh, if you don't have anything special about you, you can still make it. You can open up a game store that's a, a carbon copy of someone else's game store, it sells the same products in a lot of the ways. We you do sell the same products, or a lot of the same products. And you will get customers who come to you just because you have that stuff, but they'll also just go somewhere else immediately. If you don't have anything that dif- differentiates you, they're not going to become loyal to you. And like, that's the thing. As soon as you screw up something, as soon as you become the person that nobody wants to talk to, as soon as your customer service starts to dip a little bit, that's when people will like, okay, well, bye-bye. You know, I've got this other store that's exactly like yours, but it's just a little bit better and I'm going to go to them now. Hmm. So if you don't have anything to, to to keep the loyalty. And that's what the the unique selling proposition to me is, is uh, something that inspires somebody to come to you. The thing that makes you special, right? So that's obviously a, a major component to the fact that a, a game store will fail if they don't have something unique to draw the customers in.
2: And it's a, it's an evolving thing. What was your, um, your edge five years ago? It might not be your edge again, because yeah. success breeds imitation, right? Somebody else will yeah. do what you're doing. So you're always looking for how do I make myself unique still?
0: Yeah. Which is another good segue into being adaptable. A lot of times you can start off selling something. You can start off a game store that, you know, will work for a little while. The product line that you're, you're focusing on is great. And then a couple of years down the road, you know, it dries up. The popularity goes away. And if you're not willing to like change your focus to what it needs to be, what, to whatever your customers are are going after, you know, this year, then you're just gonna ride your ship into the ground. Like, uh, like you were saying earlier, Wayne, about how Games Workshop is now this major item for you. But if you were one of those guys who are like, oh, I don't really like Games Workshop, I don't wanna, you know, whatever, then you would miss out on that. And then all your customers that buy from you right now would go to the store that gives them what they want. And like the, uh, the divergent path of your future would be something else, right? So, if you're not willing to adapt to the times and whatever is whatever's working, if you're not willing to change with what your customers need, then eventually you're going to run out of business.
2: Sure. And it's also a matter of adapting to how customers are shopping, right, where they're finding their things. Um, what they're, like. There's a lot of talk about millennials don't care so much about product availability because they know there's the internet, even if it's out here, you can get it somewhere else, right? So, you have to adapt to that. And, and, and Back to unique value proposition, what are you giving them other than product selection? Because that is important. If you don't have it on the shelf, you can't sell it. But why are they coming to you versus somewhere else, right? There's got to be something that does it for them. Um, so you, you have to understand how the young people are changing the environment, how the next generation is going to do things what they want. Um, and very rarely have I seen, well, I've been doing this this way for 10 years, um, and it just keeps going that way, and it never changes, right? There's, there's definitely change, and um, that's one of the things that I felt as a reason why some businesses don't. It, it's kind of what you're talking about here. You don't network, you don't talk to other retailers, you don't um, keep your mind open to how it might work for you. It might not, but I can guarantee you that being isolated and not looking at what's changing around you is a great way to go out of business.
0: Yeah, if you have no idea what's happening in the industry how do you know what's going to work for you or be popular or anything like that? In this case, knowledge is power. And it's the power to be able to change and adapt to uh, changing
2: circumstances. So I had another one that seems to sneak up on people, especially the, the beginner one. Let's uh, say just the beginner ones, but that's improper tax management. I've seen this wow. happen several times, right? I, I, I it might seem like that money that you collect for sales taxes is yours. Heck, it's in your bank account. It belongs to you. Wrong. It belongs to your county, city, state, whatever it is your, your, your taxation system is set up to be in your area. And if you want to play with fire, nothing will shut you down quicker than one of those guys showing up at your door going, this is closed and seized because you owe us X amount. And it doesn't matter what that amount is. It could be very little. But they will take everything you have and close it. And I've seen it happen a lot. Uh, you get into a cash flow problem. You get into a little bit of a money pinch. You go, ah, oh, you know what? I'm just going to pay this late. Uh, bad, bad call. And it, it, I, I am surprised by how many times that happens.
0: I was thinking more of like dipping into your account. What do you mean? Like if you're collecting sales tax, yeah. for example, and you've got you know you maybe you do the right thing and you have a separate account that automatically you put away the. 10, 13, whatever percentage that happens to be. You're just like, okay, this is not mine, away from it. And you're like, Man, you know, like I've got a couple of weeks before I need to cut this check and send this off. Maybe I should use it and then fill it up later. Yeah. You know, you dip into that's the account right and like, now. oh, I need some stock, I need to buy some extra whatever happens to be coming out of the day. <clears throat> just make that happen. And then you're like, Oh, now I don't have the money to, to cover the cover the cost. Yeah, that's uh Yeah. Yeah, we don't we don't have a
2: separate account for <laughs> the There's way enough money to cover that kind of stuff but yeah you're correct i mean don't fall behind on that kind of stuff it's it's crazy how bad it can um like i don't know how it works in canada but i imagine it's about the same if they want that money they'll come and get it so
1: yeah they they i've definitely been late paying things here and there um they don't <laughs> I, I don't think our government as is, is as aggressive as the u.s government's um extracting money from the population so Um, but I mean, this is, I mean, we're going kind of back to budgeting issues really, but I guess you're focusing on the tax part of it. Um, but you know, I personally, I don't see a problem with dipping into money. You're not really supposed to spend, uh, if you need to take advantage of something at the time. Big example for me recently was eternal masters. Uh, that was a very limited, uh, premium magic set that was released, basically you just bought as much as you could uh, because it just disappeared. Um, And I would have bought even more if I realized how scarce it was gonna be. I thought it was gonna be just like um, Modern Masters and you'd be able to keep buying it for a little bit. But no, it was like after I made my initial order, boom. First, uh, the first week you could buy it again, it was sold out immediately. Um, I found, I squeezed a little bit more out of local suppliers, um, and I have no regrets. I mean, I, I put myself into debt quite a bit to do that. Um, and I'm slowly paying it off. But, you know, I've banked a lot more money than I borrowed because uh, I bought so much of it. So there are exceptions to that rule. The, the careful thing to do there is to make sure that your profits are not
2: getting enough by taking this that you took and stretching it to the point where, you know, basically your interest is eroding your profits. But, you know, I, I agree with you. There are times where you go, okay, I'm going to take a risk. The important thing is to take the risk that doesn't put you out of business. And, you know, yeah. you're like, look, I can afford to take this. It's not going to, you know, kill me. I mean, a number of things. Well, I guess this is another thing. Uh, for us, I've heard this argument a lot. There's a couple of retailers that I talk to rather frequently, they seem to believe that Magic singles is the way to go, and that's it, right? I mean, this is where the money is, and don't worry about everything else, singles, singles, singles. Uh, The problem I have with that is is, it's putting all your eggs in one basket, and should anything happen to that basket, you have issues. Uh, I like diversification because a number of things need to fail for me, a a very large number of things need to fail me to kill my cash flow, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, and, and of course, there's a difference between just opening and having to have that one basket versus doing it for 20 years and going every year i try to do something a little bit more to add to this diversification so i don't think you were wrong in saying what you did when um, by all means if you can afford it yes there are some products that you want to i'm not going to say invest in okay so definitely
0: yeah and that reminds me of the uh, a, a rule that I've heard when it comes to investing, and like I kind of alluded to it earlier, but uh, basically, and business is an investment, is that you shouldn't look at what you can win, you should look at how much you're able to lose. So don't go all in on a product and being like, I'm gonna make a million dollars on this one shot item, mm-hmm. because what happens if you don't? And, like, if you go to the point where, like, I'm like John said, if you go spent all your money and you're know, like, if this doesn't work, I literally close my doors. That's too much. If, you know, you can be like, I'm going to take a big chunk of money. This is going to hurt. If this doesn't pan out, it's going to hurt. It's going to suck, but I can lose it and I'll still survive. Then yeah, that's up to you if you want to take that risk. But uh, yeah, if you're going to close your doors because it doesn't happen, maybe you should think twice about really going deep on something.
2: like that. But um, Gary, another example of like, Oh, you shouldn't do this. Um, I went and I cleared out as much of the GW, branded um, fantasy flight game, board games, Chaos in the Old World, Talisman, right? It's especially with the fact that I can't sell these online, so my market is restricted to basically Vegas. I want these in my store because when a tourist comes, and am go, oh, my God, you have Talisman. After February, yes, I want to be that store. I want them to remember that. I'm fortunate enough, knocking on wood, that I can afford that and sit on it. But it's going to take months, if not a year, to get rid of that product, and I'm okay with that. You know, I'm going to see a return on the investment eventually, but more importantly, I'm going to be the store that had hard to find. Um, Talisman is already $200 on Amazon right now, I believe. It just skyrocketed. So, you know, yes, I'm the nice guy that has it at list price, <laughs>
1: you know? Me so the- I do that too. I, I honor that, that's awesome. I, why like screw people over because, oh, it's out of print now. Like, I, I people appreciate it too. They come in and I'm like, oh my God, you have this? oh, did you know this is selling for 200 on eBay? I'm like, that's fine, this is, you know, I, I just need my regular cut off my my discount. I'm not you know, gonna, <laughs> gonna be that jump right on it and, and raise the price as soon as I see it up on eBay for that. But, sure. and, and people appreciate that and that comes back to you. And I think, I don't know if we're ready to, to move on yet, but one of my things uh, as far as, you know, businesses going out of business, Uh, is because they garner a bad reputation and that will kill you um, no matter how well everything else is going. When you start getting bad word of mouth, that's not good. You you want your Google Plus reviews, your Yelp reviews uh, to be uh, mostly a majority of them positive uh, because so many people will check those out, check you out, they will review you first um, just like they're buying a product, you know, like I just had to buy a new printer for my store and I just, you know, look up all the different printers and the reviews and make my decision like that. And, and people do the same thing when they're looking for a game shop, they will look you up and they'll hear what people have to say. Um, cause that's permanently up there. That what was, if that reviews up there. Then, uh, that's, that's a mark on you and you have to live with it. And it's also very, very important to respond to it. Uh, I'm always checking my my reviews online and every bad review, I write a nice long paragraph or two that uh, hopefully, you know, gives a a reason to why maybe they had that bad experience to firstly and most importantly, apologize for that experience. Because, you know, especially as the owner, you should never want anybody to come to your store and have a negative experience. Um, and, uh, just quelch it as fast as you can and as eloquently as you can. And to use like really, really, um, positive language and, um, and invite them to come back and try again, sort of thing. Uh, so, uh, I think reputation is a big one. And I know personally, I, uh, uh, this is getting into uh, kind of a different area, but, um, uh, before I had my, my kidney transplant, I had been getting really, really sick over the years. And um, I, was, I didn't even realize how, how bad it had gotten. And, and that, you know, when you're chronically ill, uh, you can get uh, pretty unhappy. <laughs> and uh, then that can come off to people who are in your store and you're not in a good mood and um, you're not even aware of it maybe. In my case, I, I really wasn't because I didn't realize how sick I was, and uh, that can rub people the wrong way. And uh, So, uh, you know, that's, that's, I think that's really, really important to make sure your reputation uh, is a positive one for as many people as possible.
2: I don't have a bad kidney, but I have a New York attitude, so I understand. I
1: <laughs> every day. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember you mentioning that, how you like to stay in the back. Cause yeah, I try. I, it's like, you guys do on want to, talk to me. I'm a jerk. So, like,
2: <laughs> Play to your strengths. Play to your strengths. Minimize your weaknesses. Um, I do have one more um, that I think is kind of something that sneaks up on you. is the insufficient marketing. Um, I see a lot of stores that rely either just on Facebook or, you know, there's a certain amount of, like, you've got to get your name out there. Word of mouth is important. Um, you know, marketing is something that happens. It has to happen every day, and you're constantly looking at how do we get the word out that we exist. Don't assume. Um, point sounding arrogant, right? I mean, we've been around Vegas for 11 years now. People should know us. There's always people that don't know. Like, to this day, yesterday, we're having a moving sale, right? The store looks like shambles. Stuff is coming off the walls. Fixtures are coming out. It's been going on for at least 10 days. And people walk into my store and go, you're closing up? You're moving? What are you moving to? I'm like, I've only been talking about this for the last year or so. But all right, yes, directly across the street, right? So um, you can never get enough word out. And it's, it's mm-hmm. difficult when people get sort of, well, we don't need to advertise or we don't need to do any marketing efforts. People know us. Uh, that's, that's a good way, in my opinion,
1: too, to go out of business. Yeah. Yeah. That was on my list as well that's super super important and uh it can be a lot of work sometimes uh especially if you if you go to conventions if you get a booth at a convention um which i think is super important because everybody that's in the area that's in the gaming is going to go to that convention as long as it's a gaming convention and uh you know you're gonna recruit new customers every time because people are going to discover you you cannot do enough Marketing and uh, the more you do, the better. Um, And yeah, aside from social media, um, you know, it's important. That's another reason running events, for example, is really important because then you're on those company websites as running official events. Customers will see that, they'll look for events in their area, and they'll see your store listed. If you're not one of those stores listed, you're losing the opportunity of getting that customer. And um, just being on the company's website, like that you, you sell. You know this game, so you know, if, like I sell Flames of War. So on the Flames of War website, it's like this is one of the retailers for Flames of War in Toronto. Um, it's super important to get your name on all the uh, company pages. You know, it's not. It's not for game yeah. stores. It's not like getting an ad in the newspaper. It's it's uh, it's doing these things that I'm talking about that uh, really you know connect to the gaming community. And yeah, never. <laughs> Never assume people know your store. I still have people like that walk into my store, like, "When did you? How long have you been here?" Live in the neighborhood, and I'm like, "I've been here for seven years." And they're like, "What?" <laughs> so I still do the local street festival, even though it doesn't make me any money. But it, you know, I meet people. Um, I did a Pokemon lure party recently nice. um, for my Pokemon card game night, and um, Met, you know 20 or 30 people and uh and you can just come up and talk to anybody playing pokemon go if you're playing too it's just an amazing icebreaker and i got to talk to uh, a lot of people in the neighborhood again in the neighborhood did not know my store existed and you know recruit a few more customers so marketing is uh it doesn't have to cost you a lot of money but it is a lot of work and you do need to pay a lot of attention to it
0: yeah i think uh <laughs> Sorry. I think one of the right. good things to remember though is that if Coke will spend a billion dollars every year marketing their product and everyone knows what Coke is, then you should probably market your store
2: too. Cause no one knows what your store is.
3: I, I, when was the I last time you had a moxie? <clears throat>
2: ever. The, the last, when I was in Canada visiting you know, Wayne and, and Tom, I, I made an effort to go out to game stores and I gotta tell you, it's it's you guys have interesting problems. They're like, hard to find dude some of the stores are really like yours was one of the easiest ones to find wayne because you have a front and everything but most of the stuff i saw was like you know second story little sign and i'm like i'm literally standing there with google maps trying to figure out where this place is uh harry tarantula was an example i just i,
1: would, I literally we
2: walked in front of it two or three times <laughs> yeah it's hard
1: to find it. the first time for sure yeah
2: so and i mean we're blessed that gamers will come looking for you and Mendy they will not take no for an answer. I don't care what Google maps. They will find you, right? They'll call you though, but you shouldn't make it hard for them to find you. You should be out there as much as possible.
0: Okay. The, I guess one of the, uh, the last ones that I want to talk about and we touched on it a little bit, uh, a little while ago. And basically it's just no clear vision or goals. I think that's the thing. If you don't know where you're going and you don't know what you want out of the business, then you're just going to, flounder and the way that uh i've i've heard somebody put it before was that uh you know it's like you're building an elastic ball every day you're just going to add one more elastic you're going to add one more elastic and you're going to get a ball and it's just going to be this haphazard thing that you and it's not going to really be what you want whereas like you could take that maybe the elastic ball is not a great analogy but you could instead of going like and just adding patches to something every single day, you know, just this product, this product, uh, whatever is going on, you should have like, this is what I want in the future. This is, I know what I want. I thought about it. I want to be this in three years and five years or whatever. And you should build towards that because if you don't, then you're just going to like kind of go with the wind and be susceptible to certain things that will end up Causing you a lot of problems if you don't know where you're going, you can easily fall into a trap of you know buying into something that seems super popular, and you can spend all your money on it, and then oh, it dried up. If you don't know what you want, it can be very hard to to get what you want.
1: Yeah, clear vision is important for sure. So lack of clear vision is why you go. Yes,
0: that's the lack.
1: And 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 it's funny when I was thinking about this topic it's it's almost a list of the same things you need to succeed it's just we're looking just at the reverse side the of them um that's why i was trying to think of stuff like you know you um, a bad reputation because that's a different thing um separate from just an opposite of list um and uh you know who you have at the counter who, what kind of personality you're giving off what kind of vibe you're giving off what kind of gamer community you're developing there like uh do you have like super competitive gaming groups or do you have like more casual easygoing people and you got to recognize you know what's what's that gonna attract competitive players groups are gonna attract competitive players to your store if they know that's where the the highest level competition is in the city and uh if they know that your place is really um comfortable and welcoming for for newbies, for people just getting into uh, whatever game they're getting into, then they will feel more comfortable approaching your store. Even though another store might have a bigger reputation, um, they know that your store is uh, more welcoming or they've been to the other bigger stores and they're like, whoa, that was like an intense experience and like, I'm trying to play this game and they're giving me a hard time and, and uh, I'm feeling really uncomfortable and then they go elsewhere, so... Uh maybe, maybe that's part of the, you know, your vision is, is it is, it is part of your vision. Is what yeah. kind of what you want to have. And because, um, you know, you need to understand that. Or if, if you don't, if you, if you just have, if you have competitive groups at your store, but, you know, you've, you've, you're giving off this more, you know, casual, you're trying to do casual events and, you know, it's just, it doesn't, doesn't mesh together well. So I, I guess that's all I'm trying to say. Mumble, mumble. I'm, I'm just, i I just want to give Gary. Did you? Uh, I, I know you're having trouble with the coughing and stuff like that. But uh, did you? Uh, did you maybe want to interject and? I um. A few things. I'm gonna.
3: I'm gonna disagree uh, with that. With that last one, actually. Um, okay. Just. Uh, um, I've really never had a um, a super clear vision of where I wanted the store to be in three years. Um, I, I think that's really limiting. Um, the thing I love about the business that I'm in is that it's super flexible. I could turn on a dime and one day walk into the store and go, you know what, not working, change stuff. And my customers have, have actually gotten to know that about us that we'll just, we'll just change stuff and move it around and, and, and go where we think the, the wind is going. So I, I would say be careful of hamstringing yourself into some three-year plan Um, and not being aware of how flexible retailing really is. I mean, you can close out a line and bring in something new in less than a week and have a completely new section in your store.
2: So I'm going to interject and say that you should have a vision, but that vision is changeable, right? 15 years ago, I wanted to marry food with games. Um, It's not happening until now. It was on the radar, right? But, economics number cash flow etc cetera, etc cetera, environment uh i didn't feel was there yet so while the vision was there uh it was something that they didn't want to action upon and I, I think wing in a certain way i don't think he was saying that it was set in stone but yeah you're right you should have something to look at and go you know what i think we need to add this and how you can make it happen but that might change for you two years from now and you're gonna change that vision somewhat um i think yeah your vision needs to be there but it also needs to be very flexible on what you want to do yeah so when you when you make a mistake you need to be okay with going it was a mistake we're killing this it's okay don't be proud
1: yeah because we we already covered adaptability so i was assuming we're being adaptable and we have a vision so i didn't mean like vision that's it going there no matter what (laughs) <laughs> workshop nothing getting there you can't see my pointing here yeah. but um yeah uh, I just because I mean the, the first thing you said Thomas when you when you were saying uh, a vision I was like yeah a business plan you know um that's having a business plan um can really hurt you and uh you know that and part of that is having some sort of vision or goal I mean it's it's okay to change it, Gary, um, but you're changing it to another vision. It's not like you don't have any vision of where you want to go. So, um, oh, well, I, I would say, I would say
3: instead, rather than have a have a, a specific vision of where you want to go, have a yardstick. Right, have a good sense of what kind of look and feel you want from your environment. And what you think is going to appeal to your customers. And then use that yardstick to measure every decision you make. Um, are we going to do this event? Well, does it fit within the goal that we've set for ourselves? Um, I found that to be, to be really useful to look at and go, well, you know, we are you know, mostly geared around casual gamers with occasional, you know, higher end stuff. How does this fit in with that
2: vision? Do you, do you think that's going to change now that you're expanding, Gary?
3: Um, yes. Yes, I do. Um, We are uh, currently, just like John, in the process of completely upheaving our store and changing things around. So we're about to have twice as much space for seating and twice as much space for retail, which will very much change our inventory setup. And it's going to change how people interact with our store now that we have many, many more seats to be able to do things.
0: The way I think it uh, should work is kind of not like, oh, I want to be... Uh, a store with this product line, this product line, this product line, and this many seats. And like, this is not like, that's part of it, but uh, it's more like how big do you want it? How many sales do you want? Like that kind of thing project out into the future. You know, it's a little bit easier once you've started your business, but uh, think of like how much revenue do you want in three years and how much do you want to pay yourself and your employees and like that kind of thing. When you know what your goal is, when you know what the, the X number of dollars is, you can work backwards from that and be like, how much do I need to do every day? And you know, break it up into smaller goals that are actually achievable rather than like one big one that just uh, seems overwhelming. But if you know what, uh, what your target is, it's a lot easier to be like, I need to hit these numbers. And from there I can, that, that's your yardstick, right? You can be like, okay, if, will this serve my goal of hitting these numbers to create this kind of a business that I actually want in the future? You know, if you want to hire new employees, if you want more employees, you need to be able to pay for them, and to be able to pay for them, you need to be able to make a certain amount of money, and you need to work backwards from that. So, like that's what I I was thinking with uh, in terms of a goal. Yeah, you got to be adaptable. You got to be able to to change, and like that's part of the goal. The goal setting thing. You have to, to know where to go to hit your goal. The path is not necessarily uh, fixed; it's curves. But you're all you're all trying to get
2: here, you know,
3: or wherever. It One is. of the things. One of the things that was recommended to me, and I highly recommend to anyone starting a game store is as soon as possible, start putting a little bit of money away every week into some savings account and hide it from yourself. Just pretend it doesn't work a hundred bucks a week. If you can do more, great. Not only does that add up very, very fast, um, but you'll now have a reserve for unexpected expenses, which can definitely put you out of business or you'll have a cash reserve to do something like expand or move or things like that. Um, it's, it's, I think absolutely essential.
2: So my last one actually in segues into this was uh poor growth management, right? I mean, uh, we, we looked at this expansion and we had a, Two local competitors, one used Kickstarter and one used Indiegogo, not faulting them for it or whatever, not. but um, to, to sort of finance some expansions or the founding of their business. And uh, I get asked sometimes from my customers, John, why don't, why don't you just do a Kickstarter? I'm like, I, I, to be honest with you, I'm yielding some control over to my customers, which is great. I rely on them. They they, they pay my you know my, my food on my table and all that good stuff. But there's a certain level of like, I did this myself uh, and and 100% right. You, you should have something to grow with. And the discipline there is be careful when you see the money coming in, when you're starting to become successful, right? Flow of cash is coming in. How you manage that. Oh, now we're going to open up 25,000 square feet. We're going to put in a full-blown restaurant. We're going to have a um, zip line to the strip. And, you know, and, and so you need to be careful how you grow too.
3: It's very satisfying to be able to do a large project and not have to worry about you know, it, are the sales going to pay for it? Or is the, do we have to do a Kickstarter and beg people for this money? No, you just do what you want to do.
1: Yeah. I, I have one more thing to add. <laughs> We're wrapping up at this point. Go for it. um, is uh, it's, and it's not how to prevent yourself from going out of business. Um, it's actually, it's really important to know when your business is failing. It's really important to recognize when it's not working, and to stop the bleeding before you lose everything. Um, and that's, that's really hard because when you, when you do something like this, you're, you're throwing so much into it, so much sweat and blood. I mean, that God, I lost over 20 pounds and I'm not a big guy. I lost over 20 pounds starting off my, up, up my shop and uh, everything into it. Literally. Um, I took a big chance myself and um, I, you know, luckily i didn't reach that point but there was a few times i had to think about it um and luckily everything worked out for me but um it's it's hard it's very hard to recognize that because you want it to work so badly um and but sometimes all the passion in the world is not going to help you if things just aren't lining up for you and um just you know don't be afraid to close up shop and try it again later if you can because uh, that is a better um, better decision than running yourself into the ground and uh, not jumping ship before it's too late.
2: It's difficult to remove the emotions from this business. It's something mm-hmm. that we're all Absolutely. passionate about and it's hard and I understand it. But you're 100% right. Sometimes you need to cut your losses and, and you know recoup and potentially, yes, do it again later with added knowledge. Um, and, and I want to just put a caveat on all of this. situations are unique to each store. What works for Wayne doesn't work for me necessarily, et cetera, et cetera. There's a million reasons why you can go wrong. And some of the advice that we give you here actually may work well for you. It's like, hey, I took a huge gamble and it paid off, you know, analyze your situation and make the best decision you feel you can make for your business. Uh, You may be right, you may be wrong, but in the end, some of it is a gamble of the die. Um, And you do what you can with what you got.
0: Yeah, and reach out, you know, like if you're having trouble. Yeah, like talk to people, you know, go to your fellow game store owners and be like, ah, this is what's happening. Like, what do I, what should I do? At least the ones that you trust anyways, to give you good advice. But uh, don't go to your direct competitor. That may not be.
2: It's, it's not very polite at the all... very least, but it's also mm-hmm. not very polite. Hey, I've got a store across the street from you. Can you help me? Uh, no. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, like maybe not. uh direct competitors like your game store owners, but like go to people that you know, who, you know, maybe you know other people who own businesses, somebody to give you, a, a second opinion on what's happening. Don't you know, like uh, it can be very difficult, like John said, to remove the emotion from what you're doing. And you know, you sometimes you're too close to see what's happening, and you need someone else's further back, objective perspective to be able to get some some good advice as to what you should do. And yeah, don't be afraid to to reach out to somebody if you're having trouble, especially if you're just stressed out of your mind. Like that, like that can help, right? And uh, yeah, know your timeline to failure. Know what it is before you're going to pull the plug and you know, call it a day before you
2: just kill yourself. <laughs> and I'm just gonna interject that at least for me, I, I always, if you don't like the way I, my ideas, reach out to the the get the Gamma organization. There's a lot of people on there. If you like what I say and you wanna reach out to us here, I'll gladly answer anything I can, whatever knowledge I have about things.
3: Any closing thoughts, Gary? Uh, no, I think that, that covers it pretty well. Um, I would also say, um, if you do want business advice, check with your uh, local SBDC. Um, just because uh, somebody's in a slightly different business than you, you can still get some really excellent advice. A lot of them will, uh, will set you up with a mentor who's uh, running a business in your town. And that can be uh, very valuable.
0: I had a lot of fun. I, you know, I'm glad you guys came on the show today. It's been a little while since we were all together mm-hmm. at the same time. And uh, yeah, kind of missed it. Yeah, this so, is nice. Well, thank you guys for coming back. And I want to thank the listeners for tuning in and checking us out. And uh, we will talk to you guys next time.
1: Bye guys. Thanks for having me on the show again,
0: Thomas. No problem. (laughs) For you, the listeners of the Maniverse podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. So to download your free audiobook today, all you got to do is go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash MVP book. Again, that is audibletrial.com forward slash MVP book, and you can download your free audiobook right now. Okay, guys, that's it for this episode of the Mandiverse Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, I would encourage you to subscribe to the podcast, rate, and review on iTunes if you are so inclined. And I also want to thank my co hosts, john wayne and gary for coming on the show always appreciate it definitely like it when all of us are together again and i want to thank you the listener because without you there's no reason to do this if you're looking for more content go to maniverse and there you can check out past episodes of the podcast so with that said i will see you on the next episode of the maniverse podcast have a good night